Hi, ladies, and anyone else who happens to be listening to this. I am Dr. Melissa Rich, and welcome to Taking Care of Your Temple. This is episode 38, and I am going to be talking about a pretty serious topic today. We'll get into that in just a minute. I want to give you some introductory background that I always give at the start of this episode. The first one is that the objective of this podcast is to help women connect with God regularly and to use his power, strength, grace, might, wisdom, love, all the things to help improve their physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health. And there are four principles that we can use to do this. The first one is keeping our focus on God. Y'all, this sounds so basic, so obvious, and it is so hard to do because we are distracted all the time. I mean, it, it, it's a process continually for me of drawing my attention back to God, back to God, just getting rid of distractions. So don't feel bad if you struggle with this, because I think that we all do. Next is acknowledging that we are not enough on our own. This is something that was a lot harder for me when I was younger. But the older I've become, the more I realize, mm, yeah, I cannot do this without your help. I need your help. And I have no problem asking for it. The good news is that God is very happy to give us his help if we ask for it. He won't force it on us, but if we ask for it, he's happy to let us have it. Next is to remind ourselves, ourselves, it is about progress, not perfection. Y'all, we do not have to do everything perfectly. Thank goodness. I would be in big, huge trouble if we did, but we need to just keep learning and keep moving forward. If we're doing that, we're good. We're, we're doing what we need to do. And the last thing is to work on consciously changing our thoughts or the messages that we give ourselves. There's a ton of research going on saying that this is extremely important. And I've been saying this for years. I work with this uh, with all my clients on helping them change their thoughts because the problem is we give ourselves so many negative, toxic, unhelpful, unproductive messages that it just drags us down. And, you know, Satan wants us to believe lies about ourselves. And if we do, he's won half the battle. So we need to work on consciously saying, nope, you know what? That is not true. Um, I I used to do that. I don't do it anymore. And just change the messages that we give ourselves. It makes a big, big difference. The verse for this podcast is 1 Corinthians 3, 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? I think that's highly appropriate. So let me start off as I always do with a prayer. And then we will get going. Lord, I just want to thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. I ask your blessing on the people who are listening today. I ask that the things that I say will really help them improve their lives and that they will reach out to you for your grace, for your strength, for your help in everything that they're doing. Help us to please you with our lives. Amen. So my goal is to do this weekly. So far, so good. And to give you all some really good tools and tips that help you feel and function better. Sometimes I will have awesome guests on the podcast. Sometimes it will just be awesome me. Today, it is awesome me. You're welcome. The topic today, as I said, is a serious one, and it is suicide prevention. And I know it's a heavy topic. It's not a fun, um, light, frivolous type of thing. However, I want to give you all some uh, statistics about suicide, and I think you'll see why I really feel strongly that we need to talk about it. Also, 
September is Suicide Prevention Month, and this is when this podcast will be coming out. So I felt like it was appropriate. First of all, in the U.S., suicide is the 11th leading cause of death, period. In 2021, 48,183 Americans died by suicide. Also, in 2021, 12.3 million adults fought seriously about committing suicide. 3.5 million adults made a plan to commit suicide, and 1.7 million made a suicide attempt. That is an average of about 132 suicides per day in the U.S. That's a lot. There is once a death by suicide in the U.S. every 11 minutes. I mean, I, I that kind of blew my mind. Middle-aged men have the highest suicide rate. Suicide is the second leading cause of death for teens and young adults aged 10 to 34. Age 10, you all. And then 25.5% of adults aged 18 to 24 have seriously considered suicide. That is one-fourth. So probably you can see with all of this, odds are you either know someone who has attempted suicide or who has committed it. I know I know I can think of a couple of people because it's just everywhere. So it is a very timely topic. Sadly, I wish it weren't, but it is. And what I'm going to be trying to do with this is tell you more about it and then tell you some things that you can do if you're feeling suicidal or if you know someone who is, because as I said, it is highly preventable. So first I want to talk about, I call this Dr. Rich's formula for determining if someone you know is suicidal and then what to do about it. Here's the deal. I've had, because again, family therapist for 28 years, I've talked to people who knew someone who committed suicide and almost invariably they said, you know, I knew something was wrong. I knew something was going up, but I just, I was afraid kind of they might be suicidal, but I was afraid to ask them. I didn't know if that would make things worse. So they didn't. Well, that's not the way to do it. I'm going to tell you what to do if you think someone might be suicidal. The first thing is do not assume. Ask. If you think they may be thinking about ending their lives, don't mess around, y'all. Just ask them directly. So you might say something like, so Sue, you seemed really down lately. I'm just wondering, are you thinking about killing yourself? Boom. Ask. Be direct. Next step. If they say they're not, great. You overreacted or misinterpreted, but that's way better than wishing you had been more aware later on, which is what happens too often. Just apologize. You are the concerned family member or friend, and that's great. Now, if they say yes, here's what you need to find out. First thing, do they have a plan? If the answer is yes, Ask them, what is their plan? I mean, it could be things like, for a lot of women, it slit their wrist in a bathtub. For men, a lot of times they use a gun. Uh, they may be thinking about driving their, uh, their car into a tree or jumping off a 12-story building. So once you find out what the plan is, the next question is, do they have the means to carry out the plan? Okay. If they plan on shooting themselves, find out if they have a gun. 
and also if they have bullets and if they know how to fire a gun. I've never even held a gun in my hands before, but I've heard that it is harder than it looks. So I would think if you were trying to do that the first time to kill yourself, it might be more difficult than you realize. Anyway, find out, do they have pills? Do they live on a 13-story building that they can just go jump off? I mean, do they have the means to carry out whatever it is that they're planning to do? If it, if any of these questions, they say no, no, they don't have a plan. No, they don't have the means. Great. You can stop there. It's all good. But if they have been thinking about it, stay on top of things. And you'll be able to use some of the things later on in the podcast that should help. Then the next question is, do they intend to carry out the plan? Fortunately, this is where most people stop. A lot of people who are thinking about suicide kind of have a plan, maybe not well thought out, but they sort of know what they want to do. And they may have access to some of the means. But when you ask them, are you going to do it? Most of the time they will say no. And they may say something like, well, there's a part of me that would like to, but I just can't do that to my family. Something like that. Um, Many people will say that, again, they kind of see it as a solution, but they realize it really isn't. So if they say yes, they have the plan, they have the means, they have the intent, get help. Do not try to do this by yourself. And y'all, I do not care if they had made you promise not to say anything in before uh, before they started this. This is a promise you need to break. You need to get them help. Because if you do not, and they do kill themselves, you are going to feel horrible. And this will haunt you the rest of your life. And, you know, they may get mad at you at the time, but the important thing is to keep them alive. If they live to be mad at you, that's a good thing. Now, a lot of people think that, oh, well, I will never have to encounter this. This is just not going to happen to me. You don't know that. I'm going to tell you a true story that happened to my oldest son, David, when he was in college. He was about his, I think, his second or third year of college. He had been at his fraternity house. They were having a meeting and they finished. They're walking out to the parking lot and his cell phone rings. So he answers it. And it's this girl who used to be in a couple of his classes. He kind of knew where they were friends, not really close. She had actually moved out of state to go to another school. She called him out of the blue to tell him she had just swallowed a whole bottle of pills. David was so stunned that he literally tripped and fell down in the parking lot, which turned out to be a good thing because then the other guys around him realized something was wrong. They gathered around. He put it on speaker. They all went back into the house, the fraternity house, and there were a couple of adults there, the sponsors, and they especially started, you know, trying to find out where she was, what had she taken, you know, getting all this information and then getting an ambulance there, which they were able to do. Great. Then... She calls him back as she's in the ambulance and says, David, they just told me that when we get to the hospital, they're going to call my parents. I don't want them to hear it from a complete stranger. Would you go to my house and tell my parents? So 930 at night, David is driving over to these people's house who he has never met to tell them that their daughter in another state attempted to commit suicide. Y'all, I could not make this up. These kinds of things do happen. And 
fortunately for him, he said one of the things that was helpful is he had a mom who was a therapist and he kind of knew some things to to say to her to keep her talking and to to get information out of her. I mean, that did help. So you just don't know when this type of thing can happen. And you and she's fine, by the way. Um, and you don't know what can trigger it. But it's one of those things that we need to be prepared to take action. So suicide prevention for adults involves a lot of strategies and resources aimed at helping people who may be struggling with suicidal thoughts or feelings. So I'm going to talk about, first of all, recognizing some of the warning signs. And one of the things that I remember growing up, they used to say is people who talk about suicide never do it or never try it. Not true. People who talk about it absolutely will try it. And a lot of times they talk about it because they are hoping somebody will try to talk them out of it. Okay. It's like a cry for help. So don't blow it off. If someone says, oh, we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, and most people who do think about suicide, they really don't want to kill themselves, y'all. They are just, they feel like they are out of options. They tend to believe that their family and friends will be better off without them there. And that is absolutely not true. I will always remember years ago, I was counseling a young woman and she was telling me she was in her early 30s. That's something she was still dealing with. When she was 16, her father killed himself, he used a gun in their house. She was the one who found him. Her mother completely fell apart, totally lost it. So this 16-year-old girl is having to be the grown-up. She had to call the police, get an ambulance, you know, deal with all the things. And then I've never been able to forget this. And I'm going to try to say this delicately because I don't know who's listening to this. She ended up having to clean up the mess that was left behind. They took his body. But as you can imagine, there was stuff everywhere. Nowadays, I will say there are companies that will go in and do that. There wasn't then. So she said, midnight, she's in the den cleaning up after her father's mess. I mean, and, and I was counseling her like 15 years later. She is still was still dealing with that. So family and friends will not be better off without them. Again, that's a lie. Satan is telling them that. He wants them to believe it, but it is not true. So we're going to talk about some warning signs for suicide, things that you need to pay attention. This is something that we need to be attentive to because if you catch them, you can intervene early, offer support, and hopefully ward off the attempt. Okay, the first thing is verbal cues. We need to listen for those direct and indirect statements that are expressing feelings of hopelessness, worthlessness, and a desire to die, things like, I just can't go on. I wish I were dead. I don't want to be here anymore. And again, just because they're talking about it, don't believe that if they talk about it, they're not going to do it. That is totally false. So if they say something like that, ask them, what do you, what do you mean by that? And that's again, where you start the, are you thinking about hurting yourself? And just walk them through. Next is withdrawal and isolation. A lot of times if a person is thinking about 
killing themselves, they will start pulling back from family and friends or from social activities that they used to enjoy. They may withdraw from others and just avoid communication. They don't answer your text or phone calls. Um, they don't show up to normal activities. They make these really lame excuses. They're, they're already pulling away. Another one can be, not always, but can be drastic mood changes. They may be really, really sad to feeling very calm, to being irritable. I mean, they may kind of go back and forth. And also, not every person is going to have every one of these symptoms. I'm just kind of going through some common ones. A big one, though, is loss of interest in activities or hobbies that they used to enjoy. So they just may not really possess the energy or motivation to play music, which used to be something they loved. They've just put their guitar down or whatever. Um, they may no longer get outside and do gardening, and they were a master gardener. Whatever it is, they have lost interest in it. And there's a word called anhedonia. That is the inability to feel pleasure in normal activities. And that's what a lot of these people are suffering from. Things that they used to enjoy, they're just not fun anymore. And if things aren't fun, and if you don't have much energy in the first place, you're probably just going to stop doing those things. So pay attention to that. A big one, too, is changes in sleep patterns. They may be sleeping more or less than usual. Usually when they sleep less, it's because it's an escape. They're not hurting when they're sleeping. So they sleep a lot or they can't sleep hardly at all. Boy, that really does not help things at all. Another one to be aware of is expressions of farewell. If they kind of start saying goodbye to people and it sounds like this is a pretty final goodbye, again, challenge that. Uh, where are you going that you're telling everybody goodbye? Are you going on a trip? What's going on? Ask them. Next is giving away possessions. This is a lot of people, especially teenagers, it's kind of a way of making a will. So especially things that they really love, they start giving them away. Find out what's going on. Next is there may be an increase in reckless behavior. So drug or alcohol use, driving recklessly, uh, sex with random strangers. This reckless behavior is intensifying, and especially if it's out of character for them, that can be a, a sign that they are suicidal. Another one that you would not think is a sign is they've been having some of these symptoms and suddenly they improve. They're better. They look happier. A lot of times you need to be careful because they're not feeling happier. It's just that they've made the decision that they're going to kill themselves. And so now they feel a certain amount of peace. Okay, it's going to be over by tomorrow evening or this weekend or whatever. So be aware of that as well. And then another one to be careful of is they, they start saying that they're feeling trapped. They're stuck. They can't get out of whatever it is that they're in. And suicide may be their way of getting out of whatever the situation is. So again, those are some of the warning signs. Remember that if people are doing some of these things, it does not necessarily mean that they're suicidal, but it probably does mean they could use some help and support. So don't be afraid to give that. Okay, I want to go over some risk factors. These are characteristics or circumstances that can increase a person's vulnerability 
to experiencing suicidal thoughts or behaviors. So here are some specific risk factors. One is, do they have a pre-existing mental health condition? Such as, because those can significantly increase the risk of suicide, depression, bipolar, schizophrenia, anxiety disorders, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and substance abuse uh, disorder. In the DSM-5, which is the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual, the current one that lists all the um, emotional mental conditions, every one of those that I just listed, it will say that suicide is a risk factor for those conditions. So it's just something to be aware of. A huge, huge red flag is if they have made a previous suicide attempt, because they've already done it. They are at much higher risk of future attempts or of actually going through with it. Next is a family history. If they have a family history, a family member who attempted suicide or who, who did commit suicide, that increases their susceptibility to suicidal thoughts and actions. Well, so-and-so did it, and now they're not here anymore, and they're not dealing with all this. I mean, it can just start sounding like a good idea. And in fact, it's very common to have what they call cl uh, suicide clusters. And I've seen that before in schools where one like teenager will commit suicide and three of their friends will as well. So be very, very careful. If somebody that this person knows has already committed suicide, be sure you are there for them, talk to them, help them because they're more vulnerable. Um, if they have chronic pain or illness, and y'all, this just makes sense when you think about it. I have had, I've had a stiff neck for the past couple of days it's not horrible, but it's uncomfortable. And I can't sleep in my usual position because it hurts my neck. So I've been dealing with that two days. People have illnesses that can have them going on for months or years. And I kind of get why you could get to the point where you feel like this is just, I'm done. It's not worth it. So be aware that is a big risk factor for them. Substance abuse is another big one, especially drugs and alcohol, because that can impair their judgment, make this emotional turmoil worse, and it can contribute to them commit, trying to commit suicide. They're not thinking clearly. So their inhibitions are lowered. They can be more likely to do something that normally they might not do. If they have a history of any type of traumatic experiences, such as physical or sexual abuse, domestic violence, emotional trauma, this can lead to feelings of hopelessness and desperation. There's something called uh, compound losses that can happen. And let's say within a space of a year, someone, their spouse divorces them. They get fired from their job. Their teenage daughter gets pregnant. Their house burns down. I mean, you would hope this would not happen to anybody. But I've known people who have had all these major things happen in a period of time. And you're more vulnerable to thinking, oh, it'd be so much nicer if I just weren't here. And honestly, y'all, Christians can be especially vulnerable to this. They really can, because they can be thinking, hmm, if I weren't here, I'd just be in heaven. That would be so much better. Yes, it would be better, but we don't get to choose, or we should not choose when we go to heaven. That is God's choice. He probably has something else for us to do. We just need to hang in there. And y'all, I promise, and this is what you can tell the person, it gets better. It will get better. And they will get to the point where they look back and they are like, oh, I'm so glad I didn't do that. 
I've talked to way too many people to know that that is true. Okay, if they have some loss and grief, maybe somebody they love has died and they haven't been able to really get over that. Uh, they've lost a pet. We lost uh, one of our dogs, my sweet little um, Boston Terrier Bugs, passed away this last weekend. And we were expecting it. He was at least 12 years old. We'd had him for 10 years and he was a stray and they think he was at least two when we got him. So he was at least 12. The vet had said sometime back, I think he's older than that, but he had health issues. He had cataracts, couldn't see very well, couldn't hear very well. Um, he also, and I didn't know dogs could do this, was developing kind of doggy dementia. He would get lost in the house and couldn't figure out how to get out the doggy door. So we knew that this was a possibility. We were prepared for it. And we also know that as sad as we are that he's gone, I totally believe that I will see him again. I am one of those people, yes, I firmly believe that animals, especially pets who were loved, will be in heaven. And <clears throat> a really good book on that, uh, that talks about that, is the book Heaven by Randy Alcorn. He has two chapters in there about animals being in heaven. I have rec recommended that to so many people who have lost pets. It has been so comforting to me. And when my son and I were talking about that we miss bugs, he said, you know, mom, he's in heaven running around with Daisy. Well, Daisy was my other little dog. We lost about a year and a half ago. She had multiple health issues and the vet said, we just have to put her down. She was my baby girl, my little diva doggy. Um, still love her. I still miss her. But when I pictured that, Bugs and Daisy running around, Bugs without the cataracts, he can hear, Daisy is all healthy. Uh, that just brought a smile to my face. And I thought, you know, when I get to heaven, they're going to be one of the first, well, not people, you know what I mean, the first uh, beings <laughs> to greet me. And so that made me okay. But if you, you know, if, if you've had a lot of losses, it it can be hard. Next is if they have access to lethal means, even if they don't have a plan specifically in place, if they have a lot of guns in their house or, uh, I don't know, knives or anything like that, if they are kind of impulsive, they can end up doing that, using a gun or slitting the wrist. And here's the thing, too. There are always things around that they can use to hurt themselves with, always. You cannot take everything away. I mean, your car, you can commit suicide by car. It, so you're not going to be able to do everything. But again, just be aware. And I've known people who have been concerned about someone and said, I'm taking all your guns. You can have them back when you get over this, but I'm taking them. And don't be afraid to do that. That that was probably a very good idea when they did that. Um. And then talk about uh, impulsive or aggressive tendencies. These people are going to be more likely to act on suicidal thoughts or what they call suicidal ideation because they're not thinking too far ahead. And sadly, a lot of teens will fall into this category because they are so very present oriented. They haven't lived long enough to know this was horrible. This was awful, but I'll get through it. So a uh, story that it was a true story that happened to my family. 
um, my boys were like in like third and fifth or fourth and sixth grade, something like that. And they were at a private Christian school all the way from kindergarten through 12th grade in Oklahoma, where we lived at the time. And the school leased space from a big church in the area. So there was a family that one of their boys, I think he was like in junior high, committed suicide. He w- went, They went to the church. So we didn't know them, but a lot of people in the school also went to the church. So there was overlap. So a lot of people didn't know them. What had happened? And this kid was like, I think 14. He broke up with his girlfriend or she broke up with him. Yeah, she broke up with him. And he was devastated. However, even though his family tried to talk to him and let's get you into counseling, I'm fine. I'm good. It's okay. I'm totally fine. He waited until everybody was gone and he killed himself and his family came home and found him. It was horrible. My husband, who was alive at the time, and I decided we were going to use that as a teaching moment for our boys. So we were talking them through this because, you know, they'd heard what happened. It was all over the school. Um, explaining why this was a bad idea. And I always remember my youngest son, Josh, who was third or fourth grade at the time, thought about it for a minute. He said, you know, mom, if he had just waited a couple of weeks, he would have liked someone else anyway. And I was like, yes, that's exactly right. But again, they don't have that that perspective yet. They haven't gone through that several times to know, you know, whatever this was, it was really awful. Yeah, it, it wasn't fun, but I, I can get through it. They don't know that yet. They're very present oriented. So people who are impulsive tend to be more susceptible. Okay, let's look now. Those are some risk factors, some some signs to look out for. Let's look at some coping strategies. Okay, these are essential tools that people can use to manage stress, emotional distress, and difficult situations. And this is something, y'all, we all need to be teaching our kids how to do. If we can help them develop coping strategies, they are going to be healthier and happier. So here are some specific ones. Mindfulness and meditation. Mindfulness is just basically staying in the moment, not thinking too far ahead and catastrophizing because, oh my gosh, this is horrible. What if this happens? What if this? Oh no, this goes wrong. Um, And meditation, especially for Christians, I, I really look at it as meditation, spending time with God, prayer, worship, all of those things that will help keep you grounded and less likely to try to hurt yourself. Breathing exercises. At Waco Hypnosis Center, every hypnosis session, I go through in the beginning a deep breathing exercise with my clients to help them feel grounded, relaxed, present, balanced. And this is something that I have done for years when I get stressed. You notice I don't say if I get stressed, but when I get stressed, I start doing the deep breathing. And I I do it so automatically that I'll, I'll have been doing it for a couple of minutes when I realize, oh, yeah, I'm doing the deep breathing because it's just now my automatic response. I promise it really does help. Um, physical activity. If you can get people to engage in regular exercise, walking, jogging, yoga, bicycling, swimming, dancing, all of those things are going to release endorphins and help them to feel better. So encourage that in people. Creative expression. I love this one. Expressing emotions through art, writing, music, cake decorating, carpentry, crafting, gardening, all of these things and others can be therapeutic and can provide a healthy emotional release. It's a really 
good way of processing through emotions. Another one is positive self-talk. I talked at the beginning of this podcast about how the messages we give ourselves are important. So practicing positive affirmations and challenging those negative thoughts, learning to do that, can really improve self-esteem and resilience. So another thing that can be helpful is seeking social support. And this is usually the last thing people want to do when they're feeling this depressed and this bummed out. But if they can connect with family and friends or support group, this can reduce feelings of isolation and make them feel better. Next is learning some problem-solving skills. If you can learn how to tackle challenges and problems and get through them, you're going to feel better. And it can be simple things like organizing a closet, getting your taxes filed, trading in a car, joining a gym, signing up for exercise classes. When you do things like that, you have this sense of accomplishment. And so you feel better about yourself. So again, if you know someone who's struggling with that, help them say, you know, you've been saying you need to organize your garage. Why don't I help you next Saturday and we'll get that taken care of? I promise you they're going to feel better. Is it going to fix everything? No, but it's a step in the right direction. Time management. A lot of times if they can get themselves organized and set some priorities, it can reduce that feeling of being totally stressed out and overwhelmed so that they feel better and more in control. Relaxation techniques. I love these. Things like taking a warm bath, listening to calming music, Practicing progressive muscle relaxation. I can look that up on YouTube if you don't know what it is. It's very easy to do. But things like that that just make them feel better. Um, Limiting stressors. Sometimes we just need to really minimize sources of stress in our life. And that can be a really effective coping strategy. So recently, I well, let me back up a little bit. I live in an old house that I rented for five years before I ended up buying. Didn't particularly want to buy it, but it was at a good price. And I'm glad I did the way the the market went crazy here in Waco. Um, So I bought the house, but it was an older one. It had a lot of issues. It hadn't been maintained well. One of the things that was really bad was the, especially the front front yard, front lawn. I'll get it. Um, It looked terrible. It was embarrassing driving up. I mean, the, the shrubs were out of control. The grass always looked terrible. Uh, the trees were just everywhere. And the problem was I just flat did not have time to do it. I didn't. Plus, I'm not really that much of a gardener. Um, I did I remember one time years ago, I was helping my youngest son uh, trim some of the shrubbery. And I literally I have a picture that I almost got several of my fingers cut off because I was trying to scoop out the uh the branches that he cut off and i went too far and just my hand was just sliced open with the hedge trimmer so i'm not really the best person to do that anyway so it was looking bad i was embarrassed every time i drove up well recently somebody from the neighborhood was going around knocking on doors saying that he did yard work and i hadn't ever thought about hiring anyone because i thought it's gonna be really expensive i can't afford it so i just said well how much would you charge? And he looked everything over, gave me an incredibly reasonable price. And I was like, sold. Okay. So he started doing it. And then he went up to, I uh, had him do my, all my bushes, trim my trees, take out several dead trees. Y'all, my lawn looks so much better front and back. 
so much better. And I could not have done it nearly as well. That took a stressor off of my plate that bothered me every time I drove up to my house, which, you know, was a lot. So sometimes that can be totally worth the money. Humor and laughter. Y'all, for all my clients, especially the ones with anxiety, I always recommend laughter therapy. This is an easy one. You can do this. The easiest way is to get on YouTube, do a search for funny videos, and you just figure out what you like. Um, funny animal videos, wedding bloopers, you know, whatever it is, sports. My my, Both of my sons and my husband love sports bloopers when uh, they were younger, what well, they probably still do. In fact, I remember one time coming into the house and they were all laughing hysterically in front of the computer. I was like, what is it? They were replaying. It was like this 30-second clip on YouTube uh, about this guy who, it was baseball, and he reached up to catch this ball that was coming toward him, and it ended up hitting him right in the crotch. He drops down to the ground, just pretty much writhing in agony. My sons and my husband are laughing hysterically, and I'm like, oh my gosh, humor is also very relative. Um, but they thought it was funny. So there's all kinds of videos on there. I love wedding bloopers and funny uh, pet videos. Find some that make you laugh. Watch them 10 or 15 minutes a day. You can do it with family. You can do it by yourself. If you are laughing, you will not feel anxious or depressed. They cancel each other out. So that's a good one. If you are looking for therapy for professional help, and I highly recommend it if you're suicidal or if you know someone who is, look for cognitive behavioral therapy. CBT. These, this is probably the best one for that because it helps people identify and change negative thought patterns and behaviors. They really work on helping you look at what you've been telling yourself. And is this really true? Is this logical? Which is great for people who may be suicidal. So cognitive behavioral therapy is good. Um, something else that can be helpful are things like journaling. I mean, that's it's a way of processing, of dealing with things. And I've even had people uh, do things like, especially people who are suicidal, they they will tell me, or who have had a lot of trauma, I'm so tired of dumping all this on my friends and family. They're tired of listening to it. They don't want to hear it. So what I will recommend a lot is, okay, but it is helpful for you to talk about it. Talk to a stuffed animal. Talk to your cat. Talk to a plant. Talk to an empty chair. Just the, and research backs this up, just the act of speaking through it helps you process it and get rid of it. So that can also be really, really helpful. Okay, that is the end of this week's topic. This is part one. Next week, we will get into part two on suicide prevention. We will pick it up. Okay, so I want to talk about a couple of fun facts on Waco. Uh, actually, this is Texas more than Waco, but you know, Waco is in Texas, so it counts. Texas uses its own power grid separate from the rest of the United States. I did not know this until I moved here, but it's true. There are three power grids in the U.S., one for states east of the Rocky Mountains, one for states between the Pacific and the Rocky Mountains, and one for Texas. Y'all, Texas is just its own unique place. The Texas power grid was established during World War II to make sure that all of the Texas factories that were producing critical war supplies were self-sustainable. And I think even if that hadn't been there, Texas still probably would have done it. 
My other Texas fact for this week is Six Flags Over Texas Theme Park, y'all have all heard about that, is named for the six countries that have ruled over Texas, and there were six of them. I never thought about where they got their names. I mean, I've been there several times, especially when my boys were little. We went regularly. The six countries are Spain, France, Mexico, the Republic of Texas, the United States, and the Confederate States of America. And when you go in, and they showed a picture of it, and I was like, huh, it is there. When you go in, the six flags are found uh, in six flags of Texas. They're also on the reverse of the seal of Texas, which I did not know. I had never looked. So see, the things that you learn from podcasts. Okay. So along with this podcast and Waco Hypnosis Center, I'm available for public speaking. If you would like to have me for an event, you can contact me through my website at www.drmelissarich.com or you can email me at info at drmelissarich.com. Now, I've had people telling me that they are listening to my podcast and love it. Thank you so much. I love hearing that. What I would love even more is if you would give me a review. Five star, because hey, it's a great podcast. Give me a review, follow the podcast, share an episode. And if you don't know how to do that, like if you're on Apple Podcast and you're listening to it, there will be three little dots, I think, on the right-hand side. If you click that, there will be something there for you to share. You can post a link to it on your social media. I am really working on building up my audience. So if you all would do something like that, I would really, really appreciate it. All right. That is it for this week. I hope that this was helpful. And remember, we will be back next week and talk more about suicide prevention. It's an important topic. So spread the word. This is Dr. Melissa Rich, Taking Care of Your Temple podcast. See you all next week.